You're listening to Local Church Podcast. We hope this message helps you to be with and follow Jesus. Enjoy the sermon. All right. If you have your Bibles, we're actually going to take a break from the book of Luke today. Um, tomorrow is 4th of July, Cuatro de Julio, um, Independence Day, my wife's favorite holiday. I think she's coming back in from Kidsman. This is, uh, oh, yeah, there Justin goes. They're, they're swapping. Um, Great, I had all these good jokes about her, and she's not going to be in here. Uh, my wife's favorite holiday, Independence Day. One of the only times, I'm the main crier in our family, So, but one of the things that makes my wife cry is, um, like, patriotic stuff. Like, if you're at a baseball game and, like, a jet flies over during the national anthem, she'll be like, <laughs> and I'll be like, ha you're crying, sucker. So, and I have to get her on it because I'm, like, the type that, like, a good Hallmark commercial gets me, you know, just, like, watching the, and she'll, she'll make fun of me for it. She'll tease me. I'll be like, I mean, this, this is an emotional thing here. We were just watching Freaky Friday, a great 90s hit with the kids, and I think I was getting emotional towards that ending. I'm just like, okay, this is such a great moment. They're, they're understanding each other now, the mother and daughter. And but patriotic stuff makes my wife cry, which that's part of what makes Fourth of July my favorite holiday because I can see my wife cry. Um, I also like the holiday, the fireworks, America. I, I like a good, s- a good sense of Americana um, and to celebrate that. So today, this message, we'll call it Faith and Freedom. And I, I'm not sure what to expect out of this message because once I started working on it, I had so much, I think over these last few years, I've been studying this, thinking more about it. Um, I had so many thoughts um, that it was a lot of work to keep this from being three hours, but I got it down to two hours and 45 minutes, so don't you worry. All right, here's our passage, Psalm 16, 11. Psalm 16, 11. We'll start with this passage, we'll take a long break from it, and we'll, we will end with it. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Uh, Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much uh, for your word. Uh, We thank you that at your right hand is joy forever and ever, that we can have eternal joy in you. Uh, That's what your word says. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't yet know you and know the joy that you offer, that today they could they could see it and taste and see that it is good and receive it. Um, Lord, if there's anyone here that has forgotten the freedom and joy that you offer, uh, would you remind them to find it in you and nowhere else? Um, Lord, if there's anyone here that just needs encouragement from you, would you strengthen us today? Would you speak to us today? Would you meet with us today? We invite you to meet with us. And just for a moment, let's just take a handful of seconds. And if you're a follower of Jesus, just take a moment to invite Jesus to meet with you and speak to you today. Just say, meet with me and speak with me. I want to hear from you, Jesus. And if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't yet know Jesus, um, we thank you for coming today and taking that risk. And, and you may as well just take another risk and, and quietly to yourself pray and say, Jesus, if, if you're real, if you have something to say to me, 
I invite you to speak to me. Go ahead and just invite him to speak. You have nothing to lose from trying it. Everything to gain. We thank you, Jesus. We praise you. Speak to us during this time. Amen. All right, so tomorrow, 4th of July, celebration of America's independence um, and celebration of, of really this radical idea, this radical idea of a nation trying to be run by the people and for the people and not not by a dictator or a, a king or a monarch, and to try to explore this experiment of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read to you from the old Declaration of Independence. Look at this, patriotic. It's patriotic, people. Listen, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. One thing you need to know about the Declaration of Independence and this crazy worldview that, that human beings have inalienable rights, rights that can't be infringed upon, rights that are to be protected, rights that are to be cared for, and that these rights are the right to life, the right to actually live, the right to liberty, to have freedom, and the right, and, and we're going to talk about this one a bit today, this right to pursue happiness, to actually go after happiness. Not the right to happiness, not, not guaranteed it, but the right to actually pursue happiness. And these ideas, these ideas that, that I believe has made America not a perfect nation, we have a flawed nation with lots of flaws, um, but one of the freest and fairest nations, if not the freest and fairest nation in the history of mankind, came from these ideas. And where did these ideas come from? There's a hint in, one in this line of the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator. See, the worldview that created the freest and fairest nation, the worldview that decided human beings have a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness— was a worldview that believed in a creator God, a biblical worldview, that some of these ideas came out of Scripture and they came out of brave men and women who wanted to defend these truths. If we backtrack from 1776 back to 1620, uh, you would find out that the first people to come over from the other side of the pond to this side and cross the Atlantic were actually pilgrims and were Puritans. They were Puritans, and the idea is that they wanted to love Jesus, and basically this was their big idea. Their big idea is, look, we just want freedom to work, to just like do our jobs. We want freedom to worship without the Church of England kind of like micromanaging it. And that actually almost cost a bunch of them their life, and the Puritans actually had to flee England and take refuge in Holland. They're essentially like religious refugees, and from Holland, hop on the Mayflower, come on over, 1620. And here's the thing, though. Uh, here, here was like the sales pitch. Uh, was, hey, do you want to cross an extremely dangerous ocean? Go to a land that you don't know. 
We know there's some natives there. Some are going to be friendly. Some are going to try to kill you. You might die of disease. Some people have gone, and about half of them are alive. That was kind of the sales pitch to go over there. But half of them are alive. So your chances of living, if you do this, are coin flip. They're 50-50. But if you go over there, you can work, you can worship, and you can lead your family without government and corrupt religious interference. And people are like, sign me up. Right? Sign me up. Might get sick and die. Might crash and die. Might get murdered and die. Might starve and die. But freedom to work, freedom to worship, freedom to lead your family without govern government or bureaucratic corrupt religious interference. 50-50 chance of living. Sign me up. Those are the people that came to America and helped build the worldview. They were Christians. They, w they loved Jesus. They wanted to follow Jesus. Um, they fled the Church of England because of some of the corruption that was happening in that time. That They believed it was infringing on how Scripture was calling them to uh, live and worship and follow Jesus. Right? So it's like, you're looking death in the eye, 50-50 chance of living, but the government will leave me alone? All right, pack my bags. <laughs> right? Know a lot of people that moved to Idaho because of that. Uh, okay, digress. If, we're going to talk a little bit about government today. So it's a touchy subject. <laughs> it's just jump right into government. We, if we're going to understand government and its role, um, go to Romans 13. Romans 13. 1 through 7. There is a God-given role for government. So this could be a, a really long topic, so you're going to get a short version. Romans 13, verses 1 through 7, says this. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a tear to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, Honor to whom honor is owed. Uh, there are different types of authority that Scripture lays out throughout Scripture. There is church authority with pastors and leaders and elders and deacons that he lays out. There is familiar, fam familial household authority with parents, children, obey your parents. That is a type of uh, authority. Here we're looking at governing authority. There's types of authorities later. We'll talk about masters and servants. There's workplace authority. And the principle at place here, the principle at play, and you have to understand because this passage has actually been 
can get really abused and misused if this is not understood. So let me give you this example. If you are at a job and you are the employee and not the employer, um, it will go best for you, the principle is, it'll go best for you if you do what the employer is asking you to do, right? An employer's job is to pay you for goods and services, this and that, and that is kind of his jurisdiction. And if he stays in that jurisdiction and you follow that, it'll go well for you as an employee, especially if this is a good and fair employee, right? Uh, employer, employer. But if your employer is corrupt and evil and asks you to do things that would go against God's moral law, or if your employer started, imagine this, you're working for your employer, things are going pretty well, things are going good, he has jurisdiction, nine to five, you do what he tells you to do, you get a paycheck, things go well. He's working in his jurisdiction, you're working for him. Now imagine one day your employer comes knocking on your front door, pop, pop, pop. You answer, he lets himself in, and he starts saying, hey, here's what we're going to start doing around your house. You're going to start doing these chores. Your wife's going to do this. Your kids are going to do that. What, 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 what would you do? Right? Like, whoa, hey, yo, you are not the boss here. You're, this is, you don't have jurisdiction here. You have just gone out of your lane. See, what God is doing here in Scripture is he's telling us government's lane. Government's lane here, he says, look, if you are doing what is good, then the government will reward you. If you do what is bad, the government doesn't have the sword in vain. The government will punish you. So if you go around, you start robbing, stealing, doing this, the government's job is to take you, arrest you, and put you in a place to keep society safe from you while you're doing evil. Now, as long as the government's doing that, they're doing their job, you're doing good and not doing bad, things are going to go well with you, things will go well with the government. But the same thing, what if the government starts knocking on your front door? Boom, boom, boom. Hello, I'm the local mayor. Oh, hello, local mayor. Did I vote for you? I don't remember. I, don't, I never remember who the mayor is. I don't think about such things. Right, welcome. Um, yeah, that's great. I'm glad that you're here. Here's what I want you to start doing at dinner time. I want you guys to do this and that and this at dinner. Please only eat this and that. Whoa, 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 what are you doing here? Like, you don't have jurisdiction in this area. You are... You're going out of your God-given bounds, right? You're going out of your God-given bounds, okay? There's one example of how government can go poorly and how it can go well. If it stays within its bounds, it goes well. And if you are obeying the government when they are within its bounds, it's going to go well. Just like if you're obeying your employer when your employer is within their bounds, it is going to go well. Does this make sense? Here's where problems can arise. Here's where problems can arise. Problems can arise when government starts saying what is good is bad and what is bad is good. Okay? So maybe you take a situation where government says, hey, let's throw, you know, big parades celebrating all sorts of sexual immorality, all sorts of wrong, and in the meantime, during this pandemic, let's shut down and punish small businesses. Let's destroy them and make it where they can no longer live, but 
while we're doing that, let's make sure we protect this thing called Chaz and Chop and let them do their thing. And we're not going to really interfere with that. But what we will do is make sure that there's no mom and pops serving, you know, chicken pot pie when we've told them not to. Whoa. Government's going out of its God-given limits. And now it's starting to call things that are bad good and calling things that are good bad. See, the government is gets itself in a lot of trouble if it is not upholding God's moral law. So we obey the government and come in line with the government and receive the blessings of the government when the government is when in, within its God-given jurisdiction. But if it goes out of its God-given jurisdiction, something or someone has to help it get back to its God-given jurisdiction. When it's calling things that are good, bad, and things that are bad, good, someone needs to speak and give it back a conscience. The church was to be the conscience for the government, not the government, the conscience for the church. And when the church loses its voice, the government loses its way, and it goes bad for everybody. It goes bad for everybody. What made this nation uh, the freest and fairest nation was that it was built with the voice and input of the church. Um, I'll give you a quote from George Washington. You might have heard of this guy. He says, it is impossible. Listen to this. Impossible. It is impossible. Impossible. Like not possible. To rightly govern a nation without God in the Bible. That's an amazing foundation for a government. It is impossible to rightly govern a nation without God in the Bible. Why would it be impossible to rightly govern a nation without God in the Bible? It would be impossible because you wouldn't know the right place and you wouldn't have the right morality to be able to uphold what is good and punish what is bad, which is the God-given jurisdiction for the government. Uh, the founders knew, knew the danger of a government out of control. Uh, that's why they started, that's why they founded this nation, because they were under the oppression of tyranny. Okay, so under the oppression of tyranny, they started this. Uh, I'll give you a few quotes. Which one to start, which one to start with? <laughs> I wrote a lot here. I told you I had like three hours of uh, material here. Here's the one I'm looking for. Ooh, here's a good one. Thomas Jefferson, third president of the United States and founding father. So understand the view of the government they had. It says, the two enemies of the people are criminals and government. Okay, so there's two enemies of people. Two enemies of people are criminals and government. So let us tie the second down with the chains of the Constitution so the second will not become the legalized version of the first. Thomas Jefferson. Like that? That's dope right there. I started reading some Thomas Jefferson quotes. And I was like, this guy was baller. Like, man, these are fire quotes. I'll read it one more time. The two enemies of the people are criminals and government. So let us tie the second down with the chains of the Constitution. So the second will not become the legalized version of the first. He's saying 
what is in the heart of the government, because what is in the heart of men, men that do not know Jesus, and let's give, give you this quote right here. This is from another founding father and the second president, John Adams. There is danger from all men. The only maxim of free government ought to be to trust no man living with the power to endanger the public liberty. Because when humans get power, it goes all token Lord of the Rings, right? They get a taste of power and like, and all of us have this in us. All of us, all of us have this, this evil within us. This isn't like, oh, government out there does this. Like all of us, all of us will step out of our God-given jurisdiction with the desire for more power, the desire to control a little bit more. We can all, in an instant, go schmeagle on everybody. That was Schmeagel. You haven't seen that movie yet. Someday you will. Someday you will. <laughs> Freaking my daughter out. <laughs> so what's going on? That power seduces. That power seduces. And it corrupts. And not even a nation founded with a lot of beautiful principles and a lot of great ideas is, what's the word I'm looking for? Immune. Immune from the seduction of power in control. The founders knew this. Listen to Thomas Paine. Thomas Paine said this, It is the duty of the patriot to protect his country from his government. Is the duty of the patriot to protect his country from his government. Thomas Jefferson, evil triumphs when good men do nothing. Evil triumphs when good men do nothing. Samuel Adams, it is the interest of tyrants to reduce the people to ignorance and vice. For they cannot live in any country where virtue and knowledge prevail. For tyranny to get a foothold, good men need to do nothing. And for tyrants to prevail, you just need to keep people ignorant, unaware of what's going on. How many before 2020 were basically completely ignorant of uh, civics, of like local government processes and just how everything kind of works? Like, would have probably failed civics 101. I'll raise my hand. Very ignorant of the whole thing, just kind of like, yeah, maybe I'll vote here and there, you know. Um, and that allows tyranny to prevail when we stay ignorant. The other thing that allows tyranny to prevail is vice, keeping you in addiction, right? That's why, that's why our government wanted us to hand out crack pipes, right? If we can keep you in this vice, if we can keep you addicted, if we can keep you needing us, then we'll be able to go out of our jurisdiction and maintain power and control over you, right? That's why the government hates strong men. The government hates strong men. The reason is strong men want to work hard, provide for their family, care for others, 
Strong men are called to provide and protect. Strong men do not need the government, and the government wants weak men, confused men, men stuck with lots of vices, because then they and the ones that they're supposed to support, provide, and protect now need the government. Because evil triumphs when good men do nothing, says Thomas Jefferson. All right, everyone uncomfortable yet? But God has called the church, God's people, to defend and protect the weak. God has called the church to confront the dragon. God has called the church to uphold God's moral law and also to proclaim and live God's moral law so others know and understand what it is. There are many across all the political beliefs and spectrums that actually are desiring to do good but have no idea what good actually is there are many that are marching for what they believe is good that is actually in complete contradiction to the creators what the creator would say was good there are many doing this with earnestness there are many doing this out of compassion how are they to know if the church is silent how are they to know if God's people are silent? When we look at our earthly freedom, and one of the things that I learned over these last few years was not to take our freedom for granted. Um, I realized, and specifically that idea of the pursuit of happiness. How many of these last few years, there were things that make you happy that you were unable to pursue? I remember... Um, Right now, I'm getting to coach my son's soccer team. Makes me happy. I love getting to coach him. I remember the, during the pandemic, uh, I was able to coach him, but they cut the season in half, and we had no games. And I remember just grieving it and going, man, like, this little guy is only going to be in our house for so long. I only get so many seasons to coach him, and coaching him makes me happy. And playing the games and watching him go score goals, like, this is something that makes me happy. But I was unable to pursue that happiness don't take that gift for granted that we get to pursue happiness how many of you concerts make you happy and you realize i don't get to go to concerts sporting events made you happy but you weren't able to pursue that working out the ymca makes you happy and you could not do that any longer i realized that i had taken the pursuit of happiness for granted and the pursuit of life liberty and happiness life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, I don't want us to take that on earth, the earthly pursuit of it, is what I'm talking about right now. Not to take it for granted. That it is actually something worth sacrificing for. It is something worth fighting for. And we have an opportunity, we actually live in one of the few nations where we can take part in protecting it and spreading it just by being aware of the opportunities that are around us. There are a lot of places where if you tried to, to, to make life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness extend in your country, like you would just, you, they'd, you'd kill you for it. 
here we actually have steps and processes to be able to institute that. And it has been amazing seeing different brave men and women from different fields step up to fight for that and use the chains of the Constitution, this God-given gift, to kind of help secure, instill, fortify, and keep spreading that for ourselves and others. And so we have this gift here in this nation um, that we get to have and I don't want us to take it for granted. Amen? So it's a gift that we get to be Americans and can be patriots here and have this citizenship. But, listen, if your hope for life, liberty, pursuit of happiness is in this nation alone, you will find yourself wanting. If you are a follower of Jesus, your citizenship isn't primarily American. That's not your foundational citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven. And this country will never be perfect. This is when, when we talk about God's country, he's not talking about America in Scripture. When he's talking about God's country, he's talking about his people all around the globe, from all different nations, who bow the knee to King Jesus. And King Jesus is the only king, and his government is the only government that will last and that is perfect. There's an amazing story um, that gets lost if you don't know about history, but uh, it's, this, it's the moment. It was uh, December 23rd, 1783. December 23rd, 1783, at the end of the Revolutionary War, George Washington, who was the military commander George Washington resigned his commission. He resigned his place as commander-in-chief over the conquering army, the American army that had conquered the British army and secured this as an independent nation. Now, the reason this was a big deal is pretty much no other time in all of human history had a military commander voluntarily resigned their leadership. What you do when you're the military commander and you conquer and you win is you become the king and dictator and command until you die. That's what you do. That's what has been done through all of history. But George Washington did not do that. He resigned his commission and then later was elected president because people wanted a leader like that. When he did this, it was so shocking that he would do this to secure that even King George III himself said, if he actually does this, if this news that you're telling me is true, then George Washington is the greatest man alive. There was an insane amount of humility and an insane ability to do the opposite of what we talked about with the Lord of the Rings of just taking more power. George Washington had power over this nation. He had it. He could have took it. He could have kept it. And he gave it all away. And because he gave it all away, we were able to build in the Constitution we are able to have the freedom and the rights that we have today. Because he gave it all away, we are one of the greatest nations in all of human history. But church, I'm here to tell you there's one better than George Washington. Turn with me to Philippians 2.
Philippians chapter 2. This is talking about Jesus. Listen to this. Uh, let me get you. I'll let you guys get there. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Okay, listen to this. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the, at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Where did George Washington get this idea of giving up his power so that others could then elect him to have power? I believe he got this idea because he believed in the Bible. And he believed in Jesus, and he modeled this after Jesus, and it helped create one of the freest and fairest nations in human history. But there is one greater than George Washington, King Jesus himself, who was in the form of God, gave up the power of being God. Not the power, not a commander over a human army. He gave up the power of being God and emptied himself. And he didn't just give up his power, he gave up his life, going to the cross, emptying himself of all of his life, his very breath, being crucified. Why? So he could create and invite us into the kingdom of heaven. So that you and I could be citizens of heaven. So that you and I could have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, not just here on earth, but in the spiritual realm. And not just while you have one good president serving a couple terms, but for all of eternity while King Jesus reigns on the throne at the right hand of his Father in the heavens. In Jesus, church, we have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness forever and ever and ever. Amen? All right, let's go back to Psalm 1611. That was our intro. Psalm 1611. Before, before we read it, the pursuit of happiness. The pursuit of happiness. Do you know that the Lord wants you to have deep, eternal happiness, what the Bible calls joy? And he wants you to pursue it. He wants you to pursue it. But we often pursue it in the weirdest of ways. <laughs> in the weirdest of ways, Right? And we'll find ourselves wanting, Ezra and I are watching soccer documentaries, and we're watching uh, Manchester City, which is an English Premier League documentary, and um, they're about to play in this game against their rivals, Manchester United, and if they win this game, they'll win the league, and they'll win it over their rivals in the Derby Day, and at halftime, they're up 2-0, and this man, who's probably like 70-some years old, is just crying, 
and in a British accent, he's like, this will be the happiest day of my life. And his like tears are flowing. He's like, I've, this is, I've given everything to this team. I've been watching this team forever. And if they can pull this off to win the league against our rivals on Derby Day, happiest day of my entire life. And as and I looked at each other and we were like laughing of like, this is worship, right? This is worship. They're worshiping their team, looking for joy in their team. And you still want the guy to be happy. Well, they blow their 2-0 lead and lose 3-2. And if you've been a sports fan, and if you're a Seattle sports fan, you know that 99% of our experience is misery. I, I spent most of my life pursuing happiness by following sports teams, and you're just not very happy. I remember when the Seahawks won that Super Bowl, and I was happy for a lot longer than I expected to be. I was like, this really is amazing. And then it's been, you know, back to misery. Misery, misery, misery. We look for happiness. You know, we, we, we pursue it. Like, we talk about concerts, movies, you know, shows. I remember when Lindsay and I first got married, watching the Gilmore Girls, pursuing happiness through Gilmore Girls. I'm going to admit that up here, okay? This is a safe, safe space. You now know how safe it is. Um, and I'll admit, I liked the show. We watched it, I think, what, it's like eight seasons. And I remember the season finale, you know? And we're watching this show to make us happy. And the season finale, both the mom and the daughter, and this is a spoil alert, but it's like a 30-year-old show if you haven't seen it now, sorry. <laughs> They've even done a remake on Netflix. I heard it was terrible. Didn't watch any of those. Um, the season finale, the mom doesn't end up marrying the guy that's the guy for the whole thing, and the gal just breaks up with her boyfriend to go be like this independent woman. And you're just like, and you know, it's the, the storyline that's tugging the whole time. And we want the happy ending. I'm like, no, I was watching this to be the big season finale to be happy. The mom's going to go with it and she's going to go and we're going to be happy. And we both looked at each other and we we're like both miserable for like two days. Just like, can't believe Lorelai did that. Like, Rory, what are you thinking? Such a strange reference to use. It's like it's such an old show. Like no one's getting this. But where are you pursuing happiness? Where it doesn't last. Where it doesn't matter. Where it's not eternal. Where are you pursuing happiness? Where it is hurting you. How many in 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 this battle for earthly freedom have lost sight that America is never going to give you eternal happiness? that a governor, that a getting the right person in the Senate, all important, I want us to be involved in those things, not going to secure your happiness. There's one, there's one that can secure your happiness. Church, I want us to pursue happiness more than any other people in the world, but I want us to pursue happiness by pursuing Jesus Christ, by pursuing King Jesus by seeking out his presence. Because listen to Psalm 16, 11. You make known to me the path of life. You want life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? Life is found in Jesus. Eternal life is found in Jesus. John 10, 10, Jesus says this. I have given life and life abundant. Abundant life is found in Jesus. It says this. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Eternal pleasures, eternal joy found in Jesus. If you want to pursue happiness, pursue Jesus. Don't seek, settle for anything less than Jesus. And the beautiful thing is, 
pursuing Jesus is something no government can ever take away from you. In fact, as we read and look through church history, as we read and look through human history, oftentimes when, God, when, when tyranny is most oppressive, people find their deepest joy and pleasure in Jesus. There are martyrs who cry out in joy at their death because they have found a pursuit of happiness that no one can ever infringe upon or take away. Church, if you are looking for eternal pursuit of happiness, look no further than King Jesus. There is a tyrant. His name is Satan. He wants to take it from you. He wants to encroach. John 10.10 also says this, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. Push back tyranny by seeking Jesus. Push back tyranny by speaking the truth to the lies that he tries to throw out you. He wants to control your life. He wants to infringe on your rights. And he does it through lies and he does it through accusations. But speak back to him the truth of the word of God. Make war with this tyrant. We don't have to sit back and do nothing and let tyranny reign in our lives or the lives of others. We can speak the gospel to ourselves and speak the gospel to others. We can share the truth because scripture says this, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Satan wants to chain you with lies. He's the ultimate tyrant. Scripture says if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. This is a freedom no one can ever take. No one can ever take. It is found in Jesus. I cannot guarantee you that America will always be a free country. I can guarantee you that the kingdom of heaven will. The kingdom of heaven will always be a free country. It will always be a place where life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness goes on forever and ever and ever. Why? Because it's the one perfect government with the one perfect king. And we know we can trust him because he laid down his power. We know we can trust him because he sacrificed everything to bring us into his kingdom. Jesus loves you, church. No one loves you as much as Jesus loves you. Follow his courage. Follow his sacrifice. And find your deepest joy and your deepest satisfaction in him. Let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you so much uh, that we get to be a part of this nation and country. We know it's not perfect. and We pray for our leaders, those that don't know you, that they would come to know you. We pray for our leaders, those that know you, that you would strengthen them and give them courage and resolve and encouragement in a tough, tough position. We pray that you would bless this nation so it could be a blessing to others. We pray that its biblical roots would be something celebrated and not something that would be shamed or assaulted. We pray for revival in this land. But Lord, we confess our hope is not in this nation. Our hope is in you. We confess our hope is not in a government or a president or a politician, but our hope is in you. And we confess, Jesus, that we have an independence on Independence Day that cannot be taken away because it is an independence that is rooted in dependence. We are dependent on Jesus for our life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. 
And you have won it for us. You have won it for us, not just for today, not just for a four-year term, but you have won it for us for all of eternity. Lord, would you make us a church that pursues happiness in you? That there wouldn't be any type of happiness we're more hungry for than to be with you and experience and live in the joy that you give. We want to be men and women. We want to be a church that finds its deepest joy, its deepest pleasure, its deepest satisfaction in you. And we thank you that you are a fountain of joy. You do not run out. And that you offer us eternal joy. Lord, would you forgive us? Would you forgive us when we put too much hope in this world? Will you forgive us when we sit back and do nothing, when you're calling us to push back tyranny, the tyranny of Satan or earthly tyranny? Would you help us to be a voice for the voiceless? Would you help us to imitate you, to walk in humility, to let go of power rather than to cling and fight for it? And would you help us to be a people of deep, lasting, eternal joy? Joy that is found in you that can be never be taken away. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, locals, thanks for gathering tonight. Reminder, next Sunday, 10 a.m. over there, just across the playground. And also, guys' night, Wednesday night at my house, 5.45. We'll share a meal and pray together, hang together. Um, and with that, let me leave you with this benediction. Um, local church. So the way the story of God ends, it really talks about there's really only two governments throughout world history. And the one is this government of Babylon. And in Babylon, it just is everything that is corrupt, everything that is evil, everything that is immoral and wrong. And actually in the end of Revelation, this is a long benediction, by the way, at the end of Revelation, this encompasses music, it encompasses the arts, it encompasses culture, it encompasses government. There is people working to build Babylon all throughout the world. The other government is the New Jerusalem, the kingdom of heaven, the one that Jesus leads. And there is music, and there is arts, and there is teaching, and there is culture, and there is government within that. And there are his citizens working to raise that up all throughout the world. And in the meantime, Jesus talks about they're kind of growing up in the midst of each other, like the wheat and the tares. That's why he says, like, don't try to yank out and decide who's who right now, which can be easy to go out and just we can get real judgmental with this type of stuff. and be Like, you're growing Babylon, didn't it? No, we move with compassion and we patiently wait because in the end, Jesus, the true king and judge, will be the one to separate the wheat and the tares. And he says, if you did it, you might accidentally pull out some wheat with some tares. Um, we have to make sure that we don't do that. But in the end, he will pull out the wheat and the tares, and he will conquer Babylon and destroy it forever and ever. And the new Jerusalem, and the heavens and the new Jerusalem will meet, reigning on a new heavens and new earth, with Jesus on the throne, with 
perfect life, liberty, and happiness for all of eternity, forever and ever and ever. So local church, as you go, work to invite people out of Babylon and into the new Jerusalem. As you go, enjoy the fruits and the labor and the happiness of new Jerusalem. Enjoy your king. Go be the local church. Thank you for listening to Local Church Podcast. To learn more about our Jesus community, visit us at www.localchurchgh.com. Thanks again for listening and God bless.